Despite our own shocking lack of maturity, we do discuss mature subject matter, including coarse language and violence, fairly often. Listener discretion is advised. We are not professionals. We have no qualifications. Strap in, it's gonna get weird. Welcome to Weird Shit Weekly, where we talk about weird shit weekly. I'm Sam. And I'm Alexis. And this is a podcast where we agree on a different prompt each week, go off and do our research, and come back and tell each other about our findings. This week's prompt is, all that glitters isn't gold. Today, I think we will start off with Alexis's tale first. Indeed, it is my turn to go first yeah kick things off would you like venture to... forth yeah venture forth. would you like to venture forth <laughs> i will i will oh thank you kindly i will lead us into the wilderness Ooh. all right so i had a couple of different ideas regarding what to do exactly with this prompt um and i had like i was toying with a couple of things and i even did research for one subject but then it was actually my partner, Matt, who came through in the clutch and gave me a way better idea in the form of an offhanded comment um, when I told him about the prompt. And he was like, what about the Olympics? Ooh, we love Matt. We love Matt just providing these helpful suggestions. Yeah. What would I do without him, honestly? Oh, a lovely soul. We love that boy. So, what about the Olympics? Or... What about so-called amateur sports and competitions in general? Because the Olympics is actually largely regarded as an amateur sport competition um, in the grand scheme of things. You have a lot of people who are early in their career, um, especially with things like gymnastics and ice skating and that kind of thing. Um, And in fact, there's even been disqualifications in the beginnings of the Olympics in like the early 1900s for people playing professionally in a sport and then also competing in the Olympics. So obviously that doesn't happen anymore. We have lots of professional athletes who compete in the Olympics, but they're still regarded as one of these like amateur competitions, if you will, if these people can even be called amateurs because they're supposed to be the best of the best anywhere everywhere so still food for thought um but there are hundreds of federations all over the world for all kinds of sports and young people compete for medals and awards and acclaim therein the olympics is really just one of those it's the it's not even the only global one um but every so often there's a scandal that comes out in that pursuit and that's always really fun. It is. We love we love a scandal. I mean, society loves a good scandal. Exactly. And I should preface this by saying that I know absolutely fuck all about sports. Oh, me it's too. <laughs> never been my jam. I've never liked playing them. I've never liked watching them. However, drama is 100% my jam. Oh, yes. And competitive figure skating has a ton of it. Oh, it does. Oh. And it's just rife with drama. And, you know, it could be tempting to talk about Tanya Harding and Nancy Kerrigan and uh, 
um, you know, the suggestion that kind of implicates Tanya and her family members in Nancy's injury. Um, and, you know, the pursuit of gold in this industry is cutthroat. Uh, but I actually found this one tale to be very compelling. And uh, it's about a French figure skater named Surya Bonnelly and how she, you know, with her intensely competitive athletic nature, actually changed her chase for the gold medal over three Olympics into the most amazing fuck you to the judges. I have ever seen. Oh, okay. It's pretty amazing. We like. All right. So, Surya was born in Nice, France, in December of 1973. She was adopted by Suzanne and Georges Bonnelly. And wait, her mother wait. was an athlete. I might cut you off for a sec. Um, I don't know if you would care about this, but it is pronounced Nice, Fran- uh, France. <laughs> I always go back and forth on it. That's a good. Just that's a good. Yeah, I sandwich. only I only thought of it, and I, I don't want to be like I went there, but I mean I went there, and that's what I thought too. <laughs> I kept calling it nice, and the locals were like, "You stupid American!" And I was like, "Oh, we're not even American." American. Like, well, and I was like, it's, "I was like, it's not nice." They're like, "No, no, it's a nice." I was like, "All right, okay." You, oh, so French people are Italian now? Yeah, I realized I fucked the accent up like. You, you have Halfway to do me the that. favor of keeping this in. This is hilarious. Yeah. Okay, I keep this in. Okay. <laughs> you're like, you're like, you're like, actually, it's pronounced Nice. I went to France where there's only Italian well, people. Where there's only Italian people. Oh my God. We'll see if I can bear to keep this in because I'm going to sound like I such a it. fool. <laughs> uh, we both sound like idiots. That's kind of the whole point of the podcast is two idiots talking about shit they know nothing about. <laughs> Anyway. She was born in Nice. There we go. And she was adopted by Suzanne and Georges Bonnelly. And her mother was actually an athlete herself, involving her from a young age in several sports with an emphasis on rigorous training, strength, and raw passion. Uh, She participated in fencing, gymnastics, diving, figure skating, and ballet. But when it came time to specialize, she chose the ice. Surya has always attracted a lot of media attention, starting with her debut back in 1986, so she would have been like 13, Uh, and her coach actually spread a rumor that she was born on an island off the coast of Madagascar and was found lying abandoned on a beach surrounded by coconuts. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) This attracted a bit of a frenzy from the French news circuit. Yeah, I would imagine. (laughs) Despite the fact that it sounds completely ridiculous, and her passport confirms she was indeed born in Nice, she has made the point that perhaps media outlets were so ready to believe this crazy tale because they couldn't accept that a black adoptee of white parents was born in France. Casual racism is unfortunately kind of a a part of Syria's Mm -hmm. story in that... um, A lot of the media around her, at least contemporary to her time, um, make a point to kind of criticize her appearance in, I would say, 
kind of a dog whistly way where, you know, obviously they're not directly criticizing her for being black, but they're doing things like criticizing her hair, criticizing her vibrant costumes. And, you know, she definitely, I would say, faced a lot more criticism than many of her peers. Um, which I would honestly blame on, and she has mentioned so far as to say something slightly, like, pretty similar to that, where a lot of the criticism can really be blamed on racism and classism, um, in that she, while she herself was, you know, not a, not like a necessarily like working class stereotypically low-class person, there's a lot of associations that people would make about her based on her appearance in her contemporary media situation, which is really unfortunate. Um, I'm sure unending microaggressions, too. Exactly, yeah. So, but she has always been, like, people always say that the biggest thing about her is her drive, her drive to be perfect and achieve the utmost level of athleticism she really like latched on to the physical prowess that it takes to be a professional ice skater and she just worked really hard to make her body do these interesting cool techniques and maneuvers Um, and so from the beginning of her career Uh, She's always been focused on pushing the limits of her body and the sport itself in that pursuit. And even at the behest of her coach, yes, the same one who made up the story about her being born in Madagascar, uh, she did her first backflip on the ice at the age of 12, which is a move banned in most competitions. Yeah, backflip on the ice. Just just the name of it. We don't like that. It's a little scary. scary. And she did it at 12. Oh, God. As she participated in competitions on the national and international level, she continued making waves by wearing vividly colorful suits, which were pretty unusual at the time, and averaging eight or nine jumps per skate as opposed to the typical six. So again, just really pushing. Right. Really pushing for it. Yeah. At her first Olympic appearance in 1992, she apparently performed a backflip during practice and was asked not to do so for fear of intimidating the other contestants. Yes. No go for it. We want them to be intimidated. Exactly. Uh, but I just thought that was a really funny like mm-hmm. moment. Um And always pushing the envelope, she became the first woman to attempt a quadruple toe loop. No, I do not know what that is, but failed to achieve full rotation and had her score downgraded as a result for the attempt. She placed fifth overall. In her second Olympic appearance, she finished fourth overall. There was a lot of criticism drawn around her mother being her trainer at the time and the tight schedule that she kept her on, and the media liked to suggest that Surya was basically a prisoner in her own home, uh, just stuck on a regimented schedule and dietary uh, system, although she's never said anything to that effect publicly to my oh, knowledge. I feel bad, but that reminds me of the Free Britney movement. Uh, kind of gives me the same same vibe. Not the same as like a It's like a different, yeah. like, yeah, like she still has agency over mm-hmm. her life. She's just this, you know, like, the, I think the thing that a lot of people don't really 
expect or understand. And to be fair, like, I think that youth sport, like, the youth sports circuit is problematic in so many ways. Agreed, for sure. Um, And it, it definitely becomes, like, a case of, like, do you really like doing this or do you just, is this just what yeah. you know? Um, but, you know, the same could be said for, like, making your kid practice the violin. Yeah. Like, you know, it's, when you get to a professional level of practicing these things, like, you really, like, it's not like they weren't doing anything that was abnormal. Right. Yeah. You know, these people who are competing on the level that Surya was competing on, all of them have a regimented schedule. Right. All of them have a meticulous diet plan. All of them are working out in some form for hours a yeah. day. Yeah. You know, these people are in, like, the top of their game. And so I, I just kind of think that it's funny that her family was the one that was drawing the criticism just because it was her mother training her. But all these other athletes are being trained by, you know, professional trainers, which her mother was, and going through the same shit and not facing the same level of criticism for it. So, um, anyway, just an interesting aside. But in the 1994 World Championships in Chiba, Japan, she achieved a score equal to the home favorite, Yuka Sato. Um, so the tie-breaking gold medal was awarded to Sato, much to Surya's disappointment. Uh, she had basically overhauled a lot of her routines and a lot of her criticisms, again, in that kind of dog-whistly way, would say she's too athletic, she's too built, like her um, performances read more like stunt performances than they do like graceful ice dancing. Um, Which, you know, competitive figure skating, not ice dancing. So there's kind of a difference between them. Um, For example, like Canada's favorites, Tessa Virtue and Scott. um, Scott Moyer, they are ice dancers. So they perform tricks and they do cool maneuvers, but, you know, it's all synchronized to a song and it's, it's choreographed in a way where it's more like intuitive in that it just it works with the song so they have to meet a set of criteria but not um like it's not as regimented as competitive figure skating Ah. because competitive figure skating is basically stunts set to music so like they'll set out like a a list and it's like you have to have x number of jumps you have to have x number of this kind of maneuver x number of that kind of maneuver and you all have to do it in a song that's less than this length and so it's basically just a series of consecutive stunts um basically like ice gymnastics like timed ice gymnastics see i never would have thought that those two were different ice dancing and competitive figure skating i thought that they were the same well like i said I know fuck all about sports, but this is my understanding from my there research. There we go, okay. So I think that those criticisms are a bit silly because the thing about competitive figure skating is it it is... Well, it, of course, dancing in general is athletic, um, but competitive figure skating, it's like, why would you be criticized for being athletic? Yeah. Because that's that the, whole the whole point. That you're basic, you are doing stunts set yeah, to music. I mean, you're you know? an athlete. This is like a stunt <laughs> yeah. performance. 
Um, but so anyway, she was criticized a lot for that. Um, and she went through great lengths to impress the uh, world champion ju- championship judges by working on her gracefulness and kind of really trying to round out her skill set um, and focusing more on, you know, quality over quantity. Right. Um, but regardless, the gold medal was still awarded to Sato. Um and she was really disappointed about that. And she, like, to emphasize how much she had sacrificed for this, she had even cut her thick braided ponytail because the judges didn't like it. Oh, sweet. Yeah. So she had even changed her appearance to try to gain favor with the judges. Oh. Um, or at the bare minimum, not have them detract from her performance based oh, on her appearance. Oh, fuck those judges. I'm just saying it. Yeah, so she didn't feel that the decision was fair, which you can definitely understand considering that this was, like, the event was in Japan and it was a tie that was awarded to the Japanese um, athlete in this case. Um, So she didn't feel the decision was fair. And there's this is actually on video and it's quite heartbreaking, actually. It's one of those, like, you know, like, you know, like secondhand cringe moments where you're like, oh God, because she actually initially refused to stand on the podium at all. Um, and then they kind of like, basically the, the man who's presenting the um, medal to her basically muscles her onto the podium. That's not okay. <laughs> because he, he won't give her the medal without her being on the podium yeah so a lot of people when they phrase it they're just like oh she refused to stand on the podium but no they made her stand on the podium even though she didn't want to and she was clearly upset and then they put the silver medal around her neck and you know as like you know she stood there for a minute and um they gave out the bronze medal too and then she took off the medal because she was so upset. Ooh. Yeah. Um, and there was, like, a lot of talks about, like, she was booed, I think, and there were a lot of talks about, like, is she going to face some kind of penalty for this? Um, a lot of people were calling it, like, a tantrum and stuff. And you just have to remember, like, these people are so young and they're doing this one thing. Yeah. You know, this is the one thing that they are doing. It's all consuming yeah, their life. Yeah, fully consumes like, them, for sure. That conversation around, like, whether or not that's healthy is valid and should be considered. 100%, yeah. And I, you know, like, I feel conflicted because it's like, okay, sure, I think that overall the culture of athleticism and uh, competition sports needs to kind of be overhauled right less but that being said i think that she and her family faced a lot of undue criticism for doing the same things that other people have done and indeed like she's not the only one who has refused a medal or tried to take off the medal or anything like that like she isn't and you know it's happened with men too and i just think that like it's to our detriment to tell the story without emphasizing how young she is and how much she wanted this. Yeah. You know, so um, they ended up not 
um, instilling a penalty. I think because the decision to award it to uh, Yuka Sato was kind of unpopular on the global stage. Um, so they decided that this was just like an outburst and she clearly wanted it really badly and they weren't going to punish her for it long term. Like there was no, there was not going to be any kind of long term consequences right. for it. Um, but again, the media kind of still had a field right. day with it. Um, four years later, in her third Olympic run in 1998, she had a few mistakes um, and falls and ended up placing sixth in the short program. Realizing that she wasn't going to get a gold medal and she wasn't really even in the running for it at this point and planning for this to be her last Olympics, she knew that she had to make an impact. So after a fall in like early in her performance, she geared up and did something nobody else has done in the Olympics before or since. Oh, wow. She landed a backflip on skates, on the ice, on one on one foot how the fuck is anyone doing this how's anybody doing that i cannot picture that insane the video is insane oh my god i have to watch it the crowd went wild it's nuts you have to see it it's literally as soon as we're done recording you know what i am doing (laughs) and she just like you you saw it like like even the announcer was like She's going to get in big trouble for this, but she does not care. Like, she does not give a fuck. She doesn't give a a fuck. She just did it. And it was so fucking sick, dude. Like, okay, so to to emphasize how... Because just watching it, you're like, holy fucking shit. But when you get into the nuance of the situation, it actually becomes more impressive because backflips in the Olympics have been banned since the seventies because a it's exceptionally dangerous, downright life threatening. Um, and B a jump is not considered complete unless it is landed on one foot. And up until this point, Nobody had landed a backflip on yeah, one Yeah, you know, foot. I have to say, it doesn't sound that possible. I would not have thought that someone had done that. It's insane to see. And to be fair, like, you have to be watching. Because you have to you have to be paying attention to see that she lands it on one foot. Because she very quickly, like, has to put her other foot down to balance, right? But she does land it on the one foot. And it's amazing. Um, so, the thing is that backflips have been banned for a while but they also were just an illegal jump to begin with in that they wouldn't be considered for your score because you had to land it on two feet so surya's logic and she's said this stuff to this effect uh since that was that it was a really long shot um but by choosing to land on one foot she was hoping that they would at least assess it um, which they didn't, and it didn't really affect her score oh, either way. Rude. Um, but many people argue that it should have been graded and assessed, and then many people also argue that it doesn't matter because she, again, wasn't in the running for the gold. That couldn't have gotten her the gold. And um, she had already, like, basically everyone was pretty confident that she was going to move into um, so-called, like, professional figure skating, which... Uh, is kind of a funny thing to me like on the outside looking in because by that definition the only thing that your average lay person knows is amateur figure skating because 
like the world championships, like the competitive things that we know about are actually considered to be like amateurs, like, or like young people kind of sport. And then professional is like touring and stuff like that. Um, so basically like I, in the video, the announcer was like, she doesn't care because she's going on to like professional skating after this. So she's just showing off basically is what yeah. he said. And she agrees. She's like, I just wanted them to see what yeah, I could do. Fuck that. I'm sure she would. And talk about a fucking resume, dude. She, and she's the only one. She's the only one who has who has done ever that. done that. That's it insane. Is insane. And like, yeah. I hope that she still carries as much pride as she felt that day now. Because to be able to say that at the time, however many years ago this was, uh, when in the 90s was this? It was 1998. Okay, so uh, 22 years ago. <laughs> 22 years ago, you did something that no one had ever done before. And still, 22 years after, you are still the only one to have ever done it. I hope she holds that pride because she deserves to. I think she does because she's actually... Um, Netflix recently released a documentary called Losers, uh, which kind of goes into detail of, like, people who, you know, don't get yeah. the gold, right? And she was in it. And people, like, experts in the field were still like, nobody has done this. Like, she is an icon for doing this. And she, so, like, now she's actually, um, the, the most recent article that I could find on her, she was teaching in, I believe, like, Mich Michigan, somewhere in the States. Um, and she was teaching and coaching. And she seems like a very sweet lady. Like, she takes an approach where it's, like, um, she tries to explain to kids, like, it's not about winning it's about doing your yeah. best and beating your own score that's that's good um, that's a good kind of which is very yeah sweet. i think that's a really good kind of constructive coaching rather than um i don't know being a little harsher um on kids to strive for that perfection i don't want to say that i would expect um professional sport coaches or olympic coaches to be like that but that's just how they're portrayed stereotypically um and i mean I think that's a great for way sure. to be coaching children, for sure. To not put so much stress and pressure on them to meet perfection. For sure. And she's like, you know, she's always pushing for them to do, like, she's always pushing for them to meet the the highest level that they are capable of, um, which I think is is a fair stance considering who she is. Yeah, she's I think so too. And that kind of, you know, her, like, not only her status, but the nature of competitive sports, exactly. right? They're but trying their best. I, I really appreciate that she takes a more kind of, not gentler, but I guess holo holistic yeah, view of I think so. it. Where it's more of like a, it's more about the person and the, the power and the passion and the athleticism of the sport and less about what people exactly. think. Yeah, just you know. doing it for themselves, you know, putting in the most effort they can and doing the absolute best that they are able to their own personal best and, and doing it for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so just talking about what people think, um, I do just want to say like, she is still such a decorated athlete, um, in her skating career. So now she's like, basically like, you know, she's not old. She's like middle-aged, but, um, after a certain point, you know, you tend to move on to coaching. Um, and that's what she's done. But in her skating career, she is a three-time world silver medalist. 
a five-time European champion, uh, the 1991 World Junior Champion, and a nine-time French National Champion. Yeah, that's insane. What a decorated athlete. Yeah. That's the story of Surya Bonnelly and her iconic fuck you to the Olympic judges. Yeah, oh, well, I've got to say. I think we We stand. Oh, we do stand. You don't even have to think. We know that we stand. Oh. Shall we jump into your thing? I'm really excited to hear what you uh, you did. Thank you. Well, sure. Let's jump right in. I mean, I think I took this the most literally that I could have this week's prompt. Uh, Because when I saw All That Glitters Isn't Gold, I started thinking for a little while. um, And I was thinking about covering some events of the gold rush, the Yukon gold rush. But then I didn't find a particular event that I was really interested in. Rather than just, I mean, doing like a long, extensive coverage of like the entire gold rush. And I mean, I don't really don't really feel like talking about all that, you know, I think I don't know how many people are interested in hearing me speak about the gold rush. Someone that is not an expert speaking about such an interesting topic. (laughs) But the next thing my mind went to is the myth of King Midas and the Midas touch. So, yeah, that's that's what my mind went to. I mean, almost instantly after, um, because I don't know if this is, this is, I'd have to say this is pretty accurate, you know, all that glitters isn't gold in the case of King Midas, all that glitters was gold and also wasn't in the metaphorical sense because it was a curse. You could say it was a type of curse that, that he wished upon himself. So we'll dive right into the myth of King Midas and the Midas touch. So, Midas was the king of Phrygia. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Well, I wouldn't know, so. Yeah, so he was the king of Phrygia, which of course in an ancient uh, Greek kingdom. <laughs> so, Midas is known today for his foolishness and greed. So, uh, you know, a mood. <laughs> foolishness for sure, <laughs> the foolishness is a mood. So the stories of Midas in Greek and Roman legend, um, which are part of the Dionysiac Dionysiac cycle of legends, uh, were first elaborated on in burlesques um, of Athenian satyr plays. So these legends have become known to modern readers through late classical versions, uh, which I was just able to find an example, uh, such as Ovid's Metamorphoses, book number 10. So I guess that's where the modern legends kind of um, elaborated from, uh, these classical versions such as Ovid's Metamorphoses. So Midas being a king, you know, ruled over his people in Phrygia, from a luxurious castle, very fancy castle, which was circled by a very, very beautiful garden, uh, which was actually described by the first historian ever, uh, Herodotus, as which roses grow of themselves, each bearing 60 blossoms and of surpassing fragrance. So apparently this was a very beautiful, very fragrant, very um, lush rose garden. That circled my allergies would die. Oh, allergies, we would just our faces would blow up. So <laughs> this garden was circling Midas's castle. So uh, one day around the castle, his little his little village there, um, some peasants came across a drunken old man in the garden's vicinity, and they captured him. So after they captured him, they brought him to Midas. 
So Maius recognized him instantly, luckily. Uh, it was the god Dionysus's Dionysus. It was that god's oldest friend, the satyr named Selenus. So after realizing this, Amias is like, oh, you know, be be gentle with this man. He is a friend, a good man. So Midas welcomed Selenus into his palace, uh, where the servants were said to have fed and entertained the satyr for 10 full days. On on the 11th night, ooh, you know, this is how this is how myth speaks. 10 full days on the 11th night. Midas brought Selenus back to his master, Dionysus, who was very grateful to Midas for this gesture, you know, for finding his old friend. He was worried. He's like, oh, gosh, this is this is so, you know, gracious of you. Thank you. So Dionysus, uh, in return for Midas's hospitality and kindness, granted him just one wish. So, you know, keep in mind here. Uh, King Midas, I mean, this man could have asked for anything. I mean, realistically, you have one wish. I think maybe you need to think about it for a while, especially if you're a king. You've got lots of responsibilities. I mean, you reign over a kingdom. You need to take your position seriously. And if you're granted one wish by a god, I think that maybe you need to think that through before you make your decision. But, you know, regardless... Uh, King Midas could have been asking for... He just goes for it, dude. He just goes for it. He just fully goes for it. He just fully yeets himself right into it. He does not care. (laughs) I just... He... See, he could have... And I've been reading a few accounts, like a few retellings of the myth. And in a few of them, people are like, you know, he could have asked for anything. You know, there were so many choices in the... And what he chose was very unusual. And it was ridiculed and uh, really questioned by historians. And I find it so funny that everyone's like, you know, you had so many fucking options. And you goofed. And you chose something that is just so illogical. It's also just like, this is a fable. Like, isn't the point that he chose something illogical and greedy? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm wondering if people are forgetting that this is a myth. (laughs) Like, you know, this is... I think people are just so hung up on it because they're like, if it were me. Like we were saying, keep in mind, (laughs) Midas could have asked for literally anything, absolutely anything at all. But he chose to have Dionysus give him the ability to have absolutely everything he touches turn instantly to gold. I mean, this man was known for his foolishness and his greed, um, was you know, very obsessed with gold, very obsessed with um, wealth. He was very obsessed with wealth. So, I mean, I guess this made the absolute most sense to him at this point in time. So, once his wish was granted, Midas went away to test it out. First, he tried turning some twigs into gold, then wandered around a little bit, found some stones, tried those, they both worked, by the way. So he's touched a twig, touched a stone, they turned to gold. He's ecstatic. So then he did the exact same to some apples, they turned to gold, and as well as an ear of corn. So at this point, he was so beside himself with excitement as a result of his wish coming true. You could say the boy was going a little crazy. He was, he was overcome with excitement and joy at the prospect of being able to touch anything and have it instantly turn to gold. (laughs) 
Same though. That would be. Oh, amazing. I know. I mean, it would be. I mean, like, just like, just like the sheer concept of it. Yeah, like that's exciting. That's very shocking and insanely exciting. The prospect of it, but uh, I think you know everyone retelling this myth will agree that the uh, excitement fizzled very, very quickly. Um, because after his little stroll uh, to, you know, go test out his new ability, went to go test out to see what he could turn to gold, he returned blah, he returned home and realized that he was hungry and thirsty. He thought, okay, you know, I'm going to grab myself a meal, grab myself a drink. Uh, at this point, he was met with a feeling of terror because, what are we going to say here? He suddenly realized that it was going to be impossible to satisfy these needs as, of course, all his food and even beverages, anything, would turn into gold immediately the moment they touched his mouth. So, you know, bad news That's bears. True. You literally, he realizes at this point, oh, hmm, I can't consume anything because it all turns to gold. So. I was going to say, why didn't he wear gloves? But you know what? That wouldn't have fixed anything. I guess not because the gloves are going to be gold. <laughs> Oh, so, you know, I mean, this man, he's realizing now he's like, hmm, unless I want to be consuming gold, I guess I can't consume anything. Hmm. And then he's like, you know, he's probably thinking to himself, ooh, bad news bears. I did not think far enough when I was doing no contemplation, (laughs) thinking about what I wanted for my wish. I didn't think far enough to realize that, hey, if everything I touch turns to gold, then... I can't eat or drink anything. So as a result of this, of not being able to consume anything uh, other than gold, but I'm assuming he's not going to want to eat gold. That's not edible. So, you know. Um, well, I mean, I guess I guess the definition of edible gold is really just gold that's not going to kill yeah, you. Yeah, I guess I just... Because I was going to say, well, they make edible yeah, gold, Sam. But, like flakes but, of gold, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's more of like a rich people topic. Yeah. Yeah, all right. Ignore me. I'm just being dumb. Oh, no. It's like, it's okay. I thought of that too. I was thinking, I was like, people people are out here eating edible gold. Like, I've seen so many like um, the Worth It videos, the BuzzFeed Worth It videos where they're like, you know, $5 pizza versus $600 pizza. And the $600 pizza has like truffles and like Ocetra caviar and shaved you know, flakes of gold on it. And you're like, okay, I mean, this is maybe a little extra. So, I mean, I guess if King Midas had access to, I don't know how he would have access to like very thin sheets, like the really, really thin sheets of edible gold, then hey. (laughs) But I mean, I guess he realizes at this point, especially because everything he's touching is like turning to solid gold. (laughs) He's like, oh, I can't consume anything. Hmm. He's like, this is not good. So... Apparently, as a result of this, the king almost starved to death. So apparently he waited this long. He waited until he almost starved to death. And at this point, and at this point only, did he realize his fatal error. So (laughs) I find it kind of funny that he, like, did not realize that he needed to go, you know, you know, plead to Dionysus to, you know, reverse this wish. Before he almost starved to death. He's like, well, uh-oh. I'm gonna... I'm just gonna wait around, you know? I'm gonna wait around and see if maybe I can eat some food and have it not turn to gold. And then he waited so long that he almost starved to death. So, you know, I have to say, 
just why are you doing this? That's not wise. I well, I think we can just go back and say that from the beginning, this is not a wise man. <laughs> you know? Yeah, does not does not seem like it. But anyway, so at this point, when he realized his fatal error, he was terrified for his life and went back to Dionysus and pleaded to him to reverse the effects of the wish. So he graciously decides to grant Midas release from the curse and uh, granting him release from this curse uh, only takes one task. So Midas only has to perform this one task. He has to bathe in the Pactolus River, uh, which is near Sardis uh, in modern day Turkey. And actually the presence of alluvial gold in the Pactolus River has been attributed to this (laughs) because it has been said that as soon as King Midas washed his hands in the river, he saw gold uh, flowing freely from his hands into the river. So apparently the alluvial gold in that river is attributed to this legend. (laughs) So I also thought uh, as I was doing the research for, that's the end of our King Midas and the Midas touch uh, tale. But I found a tale that is, um, I don't want to say it's, I don't know if it's related, but I found it really funny. It's just like a really short tale that I was able to find in all the research I did regarding the Midas touch. This is just another misfortune. Um, Apparently Midas was known to have two great misfortunes. So the first misfortune was the gold touch nonsense. And the second one was known as King Midas has an ass's ears. So I like this. This is really silly. What? Yeah, I'd never heard of this before. (laughs) So... That's what this myth is called. King Midas has an ass's ears. So we got a, sh- a, sh- a short little legend, but it, this one's just really goofy. Um, so going back to the Pactolus River, where King Midas washed his hands of the gold. This river rises from Mount Tmolus, um, which is where the second of his great misfortunes occurred. So Mount Tmolus was the location where the musical competition between gods Apollo and Pan occurred. Um, and the god of the mountain, who is named Tmolus after the mountain, uh, was standing in as the judge of this musical competition. So to the I surprise, love it. a talent show. Yeah, it is essentially a talent show for gods. <laughs> so apparently, to the surprise of no one present, including Pan himself, uh, Tmolus declared Apollo the winner. So apparently that was not a surprise to anyone. Apollo was the winner of this competition. Um, but Midas, who just happened to be passing by, apparently he was just passing by the competition. As you do. (laughs) He was just passing by, you know, as you do, just walking by. He decided to interfere foolishly, claiming that the decision that Apollo was the winner was not right. So, um, now, (laughs) apparently, Apollo had only one explanation for why Midas was disagreeing with the fact that he was the winner and Apollo goes, boy, that man must have the ears of an ass, which is what, wow. he, yeah, I don't, he, Apollo's just like, I'm going to fucking roast you. You can't hear right. You little dummy. So <laughs> he exclaimed that Apollo is the, is Sharpay Evans. Oh, Apollo is for sure. Sharpay Evans. Oh my gosh. Yes. I'm getting Sharpay Evans vibes from Apollo. A hundred percent. Oof. And Pan, Pan's not even surprised that Apollo's winning. So Pan is Ryan and Apollo Sharpay. Love it. 
So basically, Apollo this, uh, exclaims this before the entire crowd. That man must have the ears of an ass. So Apollo does this. The crowd laughs. Crowd goes wild. And then to add insult to injury, <laughs> Apollo made sure that everyone was aware of this um, right away. He wanted to make sure everyone was aware of the fact that- That this detractor clearly had the ears of an ass. Yeah. So he's like, you know what? I want to make sure everybody knows that Midas has the ears of an ass. So um, right then and there, he transformed Midas's human ears into the long, gray, you know, hairy, kind of short- kind of rough ears of a donkey wow so yeah <laughs> so at this point Midas you know you don't you don't blame him he was ashamed of the ears which is why he started wearing different types of headdresses um or a specific kind of royal turban uh even when he was sleeping in his bed so all hours of the day even when he was home by himself um I'm not sure if he would have had a wife or mistresses, I'm sure he would have. But even when he was sleeping in his bed, so privacy of his own home, he was wrapping these ears up. I mean, yeah, um, dude. Yeah, you know, I I feel bad for him. But this next part, I find this so funny. Like, this is this is tea. This is like, you know, I don't know, four, five, six thousand year old tea. <laughs> it, it's said that it was impossible, I'm sure. It was impossible for Midas to hide his secret from his barber. <laughs> <laughs> who, of course, had to swear an oath of absolute secrecy <laughs> about the ears. So Midas The like, king has donkey ears. Yeah, yeah. So, like, the king's like, hey, barber, you know, can you please do me a solid? Like, <laughs> will you vow secrecy, please? Swear an oath of secrecy, please. Tell no one about my ears. So, apparently, I mean, I don't blame this barber. Apparently, this was a secret that he was unable to bear. He was not able to keep the secret. And it it's it's said that a secret for the barber was a terrible burden. Like, oh my oh, god. Like, oh, like, the ordeal. The ordeal. You have to keep this secret. It was a terrible burden. Like, oh my god, this barber needs to chill out. So <laughs> so apparently the barber felt such like an overwhelming need to get rid of his terrible burden. Um so one night, the barber dug a hole and whispered the secret into the hole in the ground and then filled the hole back up with dirt uh, after he whispered, you know, ah, Midas has ass's ears. Then he filled up the, I just, this is so funny. He filled it up again with dirt and then tiptoed. It is said that he tiptoed away from this hole. So Why? Why? I just... I don't Did that know. make you feel better? I know. Like, also, like, you like, that's so, you know that, I'm sorry, you know that you are one extra bitch if you are feeling so burdened by this king's secret that you have to go in the middle of the night and dig a hole and shout your secret right into that hole and you're, you're like, this fixes things, you know? I just, oh. So this is this is the this is the I don't know if this is the funniest part, but this is the end of this little mini myth, and it's so funny. Um, so months passed uh, after he dug this hole and filled it up, and after months passed, some reeds grew on top of the spot, and the moment the first breeze ruffled the reeds, 
they started murmuring Midas' secret to the whole world. What These the reads. fuck? Yeah. And they just kept murmuring it, and then everybody found out, and they all laughed at him. And that's, like, the end of this legend. <laughs> wow, wow. So he just still has ass's ears then. Yeah. And now everybody knows about it. Yeah, everybody because knows about it. Because the plants decided to be dicks. Yep. I just It's just so silly. <laughs> it's so wild. Thank you for sharing, Sam. Of that course. A good tale. Thank you, thank you. You know, just very entertaining, you know. Working Midas. He's just yeah, having a rough I know. time. I gotta say, you know, at first I thought, oh, this boy is not smart. You gotta, I mean, you really should be contemplating your options a little better. But it's not his fault better. he's not smart. Yeah. And then I realized, I thought, you know what? This poor boy has been dealt some pretty tough cards, you know? I mean, he's he's been struggling. He definitely has not had the best luck. You can tell he means well. You can tell he's got a heart of gold, you could say. <laughs> oh my God. He, he, he. Yeah. I, I think mean. we're done here, Samantha. I know. I think we're done. <laughs> I have to throw that little pun in there. So, let's introduce next week's prompt, my dear. Um, We have one of our first viewer suggestions. I know, that's exciting. Thank you very much, Emma. She messaged us on Instagram. And she has suggested the prompt, what goes around, comes around. And we think that's a great prompt. So we're going to do it. It's going to be a spicy episode, I think. I love a good karmic retribution story. So let's see where this goes. I know. I'm excited. I'm excited. All right. So with that, we will see you all next week. We will. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and you can email us weirdshitweekly at gmail.com. Exactly as it sounds. Uh, send us your prompts. Tell us what you think of the episode. Yeah. Yeah. Please give us feedback. We appreciate it. We love it. You know, we are so excited to hear feedback that's from anyone. And it's exciting when it's not from our own family members. Indeed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, have a good week, guys. Like I said, have a good week. next week's prompt, what goes around comes around. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. We will see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>